problem. Especially since it's just a truck, right? And no matter how well I take care of it, at some point it will fade away. Entropy will happen. It will decay. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. So all of my efforts I spend on serving him, that lasts forever into eternity. No, Not one second of that time is wasted. And so it's safe and secure forever. That seems like a way better trade and way of spending my time. Sculptors understand that art actually lies within. A lot of times they'll approach a block of stone or a piece of wood and they'll look at it. They'll see, they'll see the way the grain moves, the way, the way the wood is formed or the stone sits. And that inside of it, there's something already there. The art exists there. And the trick is to remove all of those things except for what is beautiful inside of it so that that beauty can be exposed. And I think the same reality exists inside of us as well, in us humans. That there's already something beautiful and amazing to the point where Jesus died for you. Christ gave himself for you because there was something so precious that is you, that he gave everything for you. That you're that beautiful. Jesus looks at us and he sees this block of stone or wood and he sees something magnificent. So sometimes we need to work with him to drop some external clutter, some negative internal attributes that we might have from our lives and find that beauty within, find that presence in, within, find that what God sees inside of us. So what things can we get rid of? What things can we drop? Many times in our Pentecostal and charismatic streams of faith, we forget some of our history. I know that was true for me. For, for a good time. Um, some of our earliest traditions really have value. I find Lent to be one of those things that, like, I don't want to give that up. How, so how can, we, how can we join together our 2,000 years? And if you're going back to early Judaism, you know, five to 10,000 years of faith, how can... How can we marry that to what the Holy Spirit's doing now here today in this moment in Yakima, Washington? How can we marry those things? How can we, how can we bring those together? One of the, the single most important event for Christians since the beginning of the resurrection uh, is the resurrection of Jesus. Christmas is kind of like the, the beautiful older sister of Easter, it feels like, in our society sometimes. Like, you know, Christmas gets all the attention and like, you know, how many thousands of Christmas movies are there? Anybody who owns Hallmark Channel? Like, you know, it's just like there's all these things, right? And then there's Easter with eggs and bunnies, right? I mean, for Christians, for people of faith, Easter's the big dog. Easter's where Jesus literally put death under his heel and said, death, you have no hold here. Easter is where we recognize that Jesus paid the price for us. The early church felt that Easter was an amazing time to celebrate new life and entrance into the body of Christ. That's when they would do baptisms for new believers. Now, we do baptisms a little differently today um, than they did in the early church. 
which I'm going to be doing a teaching on baptism a little bit later. But in the early church, they did it on Easter morning and nobody wore clothes. Which I'm glad we let some of those traditions go by. Because, you know, I don't know if you guys all saw the DOT posted this picture of Sasquatch recently. That was me. I was preparing for baptism. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> this large hairy ape. Um, but that, that's how they used to do baptism. So, you know, not all faith traditions are things that we need to carry forward to today. Right? Some things we can let go by the wayside, like doing baptisms unclothed. The 40 days leading to Easter, not including Sundays, which we're talking about now, which is Lent, were used as a time of preparation. They were based on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness before his public ministry actually began. This is the period we know as Lent. Lent comes to an end with the weight of our sins in focus as we remember the passion of Jesus. The final hours of his life and his death upon the cross. In eager expectation of Resurrection Day. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that famous sermon. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. You know, the disciples are scattered. Death is on the doorstep. Everything seems hopeless. The world is dark. Christ is carrying that cross down the road, beaten and bruised and bloody up to Golgotha. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's this beautiful, beautiful sermon. If you've, if you've never heard it before, go listen to it. Do yourself a favor and listen to it. It's incredible. The Holy Spirit is also part of the Lenten story. Jesus' time in the desert was marked by the work of the Spirit from beginning to end. It says that Jesus entered the desert full of the Holy Spirit and returned in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bookends to the beginning and the end of Christ's time in the desert. Luke 4, 1 through 15. This is Luke's account of Jesus' time in the wilderness. He was there for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing. But what I want to draw our attention to is this first verse in Luke's account. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to read that one more time. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, when Jesus was led into the wilderness... Was it for a party and feasting and just having generally a really great time? It wasn't. He said he didn't eat for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil during that time. The enemy like put all these things before him and said, if you, only you will bow down to me, Jesus. If only if you, Jesus, will recognize me, Satan, as ruler, I will give you all these things. The Holy Spirit led him there, it says. I kind of, like, I got hung up on that a little bit. So the Holy Spirit led him into a battle. The Holy Spirit led him into this time of, of reflection and, and, and checking out his own soul. 
and seeing where he was at and was he going to have the kingdom of God as priority. Continuing on. Luke seems to be drawing our attention to the Holy Spirit. In this one sentence, he references the Spirit twice. And often when we study Scripture, there's this thing with repetition. Whenever you're reading Scripture and you see things repeated, that means it's emphasis. That's like, like, uh, like exclamation marks and like, like clapping hand emojis and like hearts. And like, this is like super important in Scripture. If something's being repeated, it's like pay attention to this. Luke is drawing our attention to the Holy Spirit, that he's with Jesus in this process. Just as Jesus began his journey into the wilderness full of the Spirit, we need to begin Lent in the same way. A lot of Christians, particularly my friends across the street, who God bless them this week, the priests are going to have a busy couple weeks, let me tell you. They've got lots of things that they, that they do during as they observe Lent and as they go into Easter. They do this thing called the imposition of the ashes. If you guys have ever seen anybody with like this black cross on their forehead, that's what this is. What they do is they take ashes from the burnt palm branches from the previous year, from Palm Sunday, when Jesus they recognized Jesus going into the city. He rode on the colt, right? He came into the city. He was recognized as king. They put palm fronds on the ground underneath him as he came in. So they recognize this. They take those burnt palm branches from Palm Sunday and they mix them with oil to make that sign of the cross. And so it's like this recognition and continuation of what happened before and what was coming next. I like the idea that it, like, it gives them an opportunity to anoint people with oil, which was a sign of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. God would pour oil on people. If you remember the story of King David, when he came, went to become king, the prophet took this giant pitcher of oil and like literally doused him in oil, covered him from head to toe in oil. And that was a sign of the favor of God. That was a sign of the Spirit of God coming on him. And that's kind of what this oil represents. There's this traditional saying when they do this mark. From dust you've come, to dust you shall return. Repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tweaked this a little bit, and so I want you guys to say this with me. This isn't something we do a whole lot here at Vineyard, but we're going to do a little bit of a, a group a statement of faith this morning. Part of this is from, I was at Mass last week, and like interspersed all throughout Mass, you do this call and response, you do these group statements of faith, um, and I thought that this statement of faith was really beautiful. So I'm going to read it through once myself, and then I'd like for you guys to read it with me. From dust I come, to dust I shall return. I repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a really simple statement. I think it's really beautiful. So I'd like for you guys to say this with me. From dust I come, to dust I shall return. I repent and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Just a simple little statement, but so full of theology. All of us will perish. None of us are getting out of this alive. Not one of us. We came from dust, we returned to dust. So we should recognize Jesus Christ and what he did for us and believe in the gospel, meaning good news.
the good news of Jesus. Because it is good news. The fact that I came to dust and returned to dust will not matter. It's okay. Because I know Jesus. So it's okay. Because I'm eternal now. I know Christ. I'm going to be with God. I don't have to fear death. I love that statement in the old King James. Oh, death, where is thy sting? There is no sting in death. Death doesn't hurt. Because I know I'm going to be with God and all those who have gone before me. And we're going to party. And it will be amazing. And I'm stoked about it. I can't wait. I'm just going to say this like, Lord, all my other friends and family who have gone before, don't take offense at this, but like my great-grandma, I loved my great-grandma so much. Her name was Matilda Geisy. And I, I loved my great-grandma so much. Like, when she died, I ugly cried, and it hurt, and it was painful. I, I loved her. I cannot wait to, like, roll into heaven and see my great-grandma. Her friends all called her Tilly, which, like, that name is as cute as she was. She was just this tiny little German Jewish lady and just adorable, and I loved her. Um, So I can't wait to see Tilly again. She rocked. She was awesome. And so I don't have to fear. I don't have to have fear. I'd like to invite you to begin your journey into Lent this morning with the oil of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take these ashes and oil. We don't have to do with this physical thing. We can, and it's good. And sometimes doing things in the physical... um, like we'll make a, a spiritual connection for us. And so if, if you want to roll into one of our Catholic brothers and sisters on Wednesday, they will let you. And if you want to get the ashes and oil on your forehead, they'll do it for you. They will. They'll hook you up on Wednesday if you, if you want to show up. Um, however, because of what Christ did on the cross and the fact that he said that I will send one to you, who is the Holy Spirit, who will be your companion, who will always be with you, who will walk alongside you, we can simply close our eyes and say, come Holy Spirit. And his presence is with us. And you can feel him. You can sense him. And it's just like getting those ashes on your head. Did you feel that? There's a Holy Spirit showing up. It is really that simple. You see, the, the, the thing is God wants to be with us. It's us who get in the way. <laughs> God wants to be with us. He desires our presence, which is just crazy to me. I mean, that the creator of the universe, the, the being who literally spoke everything into being, wants to hang out with me, is a miracle. <laughs> and it's amazing to me. Jesus was led into the desert. Can anybody here relate? (laughs) Like, Lord, I feel like you're leading me into a desert. Sometimes when we're filled with the Spirit and seeking every day to walk in the Spirit, we pray in the Spirit, we sing in the Spirit, and yet sometimes the Spirit leads us into the wilderness. There's a reason for this. Sometimes the very best place for God to form us and change us and make us new and kind of show us really like who we are and what we're about is in the wilderness. Sometimes, I, I can speak for myself, 
I'm boneheaded. I'm really thick-headed. And I keep myself busy enough that I ignore that sweet, quiet voice of God. And so sometimes he has to pull out the paddle <laughs> and whack me upside the head with it and say, hey, Dusty, pay attention. Hey, I'm trying to talk to you. Hey, focus. Who are you? Who am I? Where are we together? I love this quote by Corey Ten Boom. When the train goes through a tunnel and the world becomes dark, do you jump out? Of course not. You sit still and trust the engineer to get you through. Those of you who don't know, Corey Tenbin was a prisoner of war in a Nazi concentration camp. She wrote that. She knew a little something about darkness. She knew a little something about trusting Jesus. You don't jump out. You don't give up. You don't bail on Jesus just because stuff is ugly and dark. You sit in the presence of God. You let his spirit speak to you and trust that he's going to get you through. Matthew, it says this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. So apparently there's this hypocritical way to fast. A hypocrite is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. I suspect that what he's saying here is something like what Paul calls having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Like we're just going through the motions. Like I'm doing the thing because God says to do the thing, and so I'm going to do the thing. But your heart's not in it. You know, I'm sure we've all been there, right? I've been there. Like, I'm reading my Bible. Okay, when does this get good? I'm praying. God, I may as well be praying to this pew because that's about the same response I'm getting from you. Or God, I'm following you, and I'm putting everything I have into following you, and it feels like you're just not showing up. I'm sure others have been in these places before where it's just wilderness and it's dry and, and God's not to what we're doing. Has anybody else felt that way? Just me? Just me? No, a couple others. Okay, at least there's a handful of us. It's, it's hard sometimes. It's really hard. Even sometimes when I'm doing it with my whole heart, it feels like God's not there. But I've also found in my life that pushing through those times, when I come out the other side, my faith is more solid and stronger than it's ever been. Because like, I've had a few of those times in my life where, I mean, there was, there was a good period of time where I got injured at work and I was stuck at home all the time and I had a broken back and... And I didn't really have interaction with people. And I wasn't in church for like four years. Um, and like, so I didn't have any faith community. And um, I was just kind of a really dry, alone place. At the same time, I always knew Jesus was there. I mean, I never questioned my faith, really. I never, I always knew Christ was with me. Um, I just wasn't doing anything about it. 
like I had head, head knowledge, and I think I even had some heart knowledge, but there was nothing going on. And I wasn't doing, like, I wasn't serving anybody else either. Like, it was just kind of dry and dead. But I came through that experience changed. I came through that experience different. And I can honestly say that that period in my life gave me a deeper faith. When, when we did come back to church, is actually when we started coming here. And that's been like almost 18 years ago now. And the first Sunday we came, Christy and I, were, we both felt like this was home to us. We've been here ever since. Like literally the first Sunday we came. That was, and we tried out a couple other churches and we went different places. And, and I know Jesus was there and I know God was there and I know the Holy Spirit was there. So don't hear me saying any of that. Um, I knew God was there. But when we came here, something settled. And honestly, I fought coming here because my family was here and I didn't want to just go where my family went because I felt like that was lame. But I showed up anyway. And when I did, that was it. I was done. Like I was wrecked the first Sunday I showed up here. I was like, the Holy Spirit met me and something settled inside of me that has not gone away that Yakima Vineyard was my home. And so that was 18 years ago now. Um, but that came after that four-year period of not being in church at all. And I tried to go back to the church where we were at before, which is an amazing, beautiful church, and I have lots of friends there, and I know God moves through them and touches the Yakima Valley. I know that, and we'll recognize that, and we'll tell anybody that. But that wasn't where I was supposed to be anymore. God had moved me, and I blessed them. But I knew this was where I was to be. It, it settled in my soul. It settled in my spirit. Um, so anyway, going through those periods of wilderness, going through those periods of darkness can be really, really formative to who we are. And I think it was for Christ's ministry. Well, right after this period of wilderness is when Christ began his public ministry. It's when he finally said, okay, I, I am Messiah. Here, let me tell you about me. Let me show you who I am. Continuing on. There's no magic formulas. The wind of the Spirit blows where it pleases, John 3, 8. Maybe it's in our surrender. Maybe this period, this time of Lent or this time in the wilderness is we're detoxing, like literally detoxing from our idols. Maybe we become more tuned in and focused on what God's been doing and saying all along. But whatever the case is, Christians throughout the centuries as they go through this period God has met them in the midst of fasting in special ways. What is real freedom in Christ? Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. What does that really mean? Sometimes we think we're free to do things, and that freedom that we think we have actually becomes a form of slavery. Um, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's entertainment. And see, we have the, the freedom, right, quote-unquote freedom, to do all of those things. But if if I can't stop doing them, 
am I free? Like if, if I have to have a drink, or if I have to go on the internet, or if I have to be on social media, or if I have to um, uh, have attention from the other sex, or if I have to um, have people like me, or if I have to have the new Camaro, or if I have to, like if I, like if I have this like this visceral deep need to do something that I just can't stop myself, am I actually free? Or am I a slave to that? And I would argue that I'm a slave to it because I can't stop. And so that's not actual freedom. That's slavery that looks like freedom. And for myself, I find I can generally do a pretty good job resisting temptation. When the sun's shining on my life, I'm generally a pretty nice guy, I feel like. Most, at least, other people tell me I am. I tend to think good thoughts. I, I work pretty hard at being considerate, and I try to help other people. At least I, like, I, I, really, I truly do work at it. I, I truly do try to do those things. But I know that when I'm overworked, tired, my wife or Cormac can tell you that I need regular sleep. <laughs> like they, can, they will vouch for me all day that if I'm not sleepy, I am a not fun person to be around. I'm a mean dog. If I'm stressed or maybe even just a little stopped up on one side of my nose, you know, not feeling real great, having a cold, I find that it's an opportune time for those demonic whispers in my ear to start working on me. And it's the time when we most need to be on guard. When you're feeling the weakest is when you need to be the most aware. When you're feeling tired, stressed, in a wilderness place, put upon, things are dark, nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, people are thinking X, Y, and Z about me, I'm broke, I'm sick, all these things, right? Those are the times when we have to be the most on guard, because those are the times when the enemy knows we're weak, and he waits. He doesn't generally come at us when we're in a solid place. He waits till we're weak. And then we're weak, he tries to nail us. And he does it in lots of different ways. There is no particular one formula or a thing. But he waits. In the wilderness, Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus was tempted three different times. And each temptation is resisted. How does Jesus do this? How does Jesus resist it? How does he battle the devil while he's at the weeks? I mean, he hadn't, he's not eating for 40 days, guys. He's feeling pretty weak mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Jesus is probably feeling pretty weak. When he's at the weakest moment of his 40-day excursion of, into the wilderness, Jesus is just like us. He can be tempted. If Jesus couldn't be tempted, the devil wouldn't have wasted his time. The reality was that Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. So he had the ability to be tempted. He wasn't Superman. He wasn't invulnerable to this. The devil doesn't tend to waste his time. The most common explanation that I've heard is that Jesus deflects the attacks of the enemy 
by the word of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is alive and is active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Sometimes when you can't figure out how to stand, go to Scripture. Stand on the Word of God. What does God say about me? What does God say about who I am? What did Jesus do for me on the cross? Who am I in light of Scripture? And draw strength from that. And draw solace from that. Every time the devil came at him, Christ had a response that was based on the Word of God. The enemy will tempt us and will accuse us. In Acts 4.8, Peter is filled with the Spirit when he faces accusers. Like Jesus and like Paul, when we're facing the onslaught of temptations that hit us every day, we must not go unaccompanied by the Holy Spirit. We have to study Scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spiritual warfare never involves less than that. But we also require fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. We need God to be able to speak to us, for us to speak to the Lord and for the Lord to be able to respond and guide us and direct us and form us. We can't do this life thing alone. We have to have Jesus. We've got to have God. We have to have the Father and the Holy Spirit. I need all the crew I can get. I need my squad. I cannot do this alone. And that includes some of you in here, fellow believers, walking with me, bearing me up, praying for me, interceding, showing up when I need you. Thank you. I know some of you pray for me often. Thank you. We can't do this thing without each other. We've got to have our squad. Paul says the Spirit brings life, 2 Corinthians 3.6. The church fathers affirm the Holy Spirit as Lord and giver of life. When we're weary in life, when temptation comes, we need the life in the Spirit to sustain us. We need the Holy Spirit to carry us through. We need God. I'd like for all of you to pray this with me. I'm going to read through it once first, and then pray it with me. So let me read through it. Lord, take our hearts and our inmost beings with the fire of your Holy Spirit, that we may serve you, with pure bodies and pure minds. In Christ our Lord, amen. If you're willing, I'd like you to pray this with me. Lord, take our hearts and our inmost beings with the fire of your Holy Spirit, that we may serve you with pure bodies and pure minds. In Christ our Lord, amen. That should be all our prayer. We want to serve God with a pure body. We want to serve God with a pure mind. We want to be submitted, just as I said at the very beginning. We want ourselves to decrease so that Christ might increase. So that we can be truly new creations in Christ Jesus. So that we can be better who we, than we are right now, in this moment. That I can, in 10 years, look from where I'm standing at right now, in this moment, in this place, and in 10 years I can look back and say, you know what? I'm a better man than I was then. I allowed God to change me. I allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to me. I allowed God to transform who I was. I'm, I'm not as much of a jerk 
as I was 10 years ago. I'm not as much of a loser as I was. I'm not as self-indulgent or narcissistic or I'm just not out to take care of me and mine. That like I'm able to like submit myself to God and allow Jesus to increase and myself to decrease. That I can truly be transformed. That I can, when, when Paul talks about becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus, that I'll let him do that. That I can let that happen. That I can be soft clay in the hands of God and let him mold me and change me and make me better than I am now. Not just so that I look good. I'm talking about a, a transformation of the heart. I'm talking about, it says that God looks at our heart. And God looks at our mind. And when God looks at our heart and our mind, I want him to see that art that we talked about earlier. That my block of clay, my block of stone, my hard heart that I am right now, that he can chip away all those things that, that don't belong there and that I can be beautiful to him. That he can, he can change me and mold me and make me new. Lent this year begins on Wednesday. And it will end April 9th. What I'd like to do is take a moment and have you talk with God. Let him tell you what he's calling you to. Um, I remember we did this with my son Cormac. He was about 12 or something like that at the time, I think. And he said, Daddy... I feel like I want to give up soda for Lent. I'm like, okay, buddy. If that's what you feel like God's telling you to do. Because he really likes soda. It was like, he doesn't really like sweets, but he enjoys soda. Um, and so, it, like, I remember, like, about three-fourths of the way through, we're at a restaurant, and we're ordering food, and I think Christy ordered a Pepsi, and Cormac liked to get 7-Up. And he's like, I'll have a... And he stopped himself. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I gave that up this month, or this, these 40 days. Um, he said, and he says, well, I'll have water. And I was like, uh, yeah, that. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't just that he was being self-disciplined. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It's not about just, like, beating our flesh or subjugating our flesh. It's not just that. It was, I'm doing this. For Christ. I'm doing this to know Jesus better. I'm doing this so that I, re- I will remember who God is and who I am. And so we're going to take a moment. I'm going to ask us to just have a moment of, of quiet. And I'd like for you to dialogue with God. Maybe God's asking you um, to, to give up, you know, uh, traditionally people give up meat. And you don't eat meat for 40 days except for fish on Fridays. At least when I grew up, that's... Kimmy and I always really loved, like, when it was Lent time because it meant we got to go to Skipper's with my grandma and grandpa. And Skipper's on Friday with grandma and grandpa was amazing because I could have all the fish I want, and I love fish. And so it was really cool because with my family, we didn't really grow up observing Lent, and so we weren't, like, doing all the other stuff, but we got like really good fish and fries every Friday, so it was kind of awesome. Um, but traditionally, Lent, you give up meat, and then you get fish on Fridays. Um, I would posit, as spirit-filled believers, that we could have a dialogue with God. 
and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Maybe um, you're supposed to give up, up um, Facebook for 40 days. Maybe you're supposed to give up alcohol for 40 days. Maybe you're supposed to give up um, negativity for 40 days. Like, I will not complain about anything for 40 days. I'm going to give that to God. That one might be harder, right? That might be harder than giving up meat. I mean, I like bacon, but I like to complain too. <laughs> right? So maybe God's asking you to give up negativity. Maybe God's asking you to give up coffee. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. There's no one right way. But what we're going to do is we're going to be quiet for a minute. I know, the coffee thing would kill me too. Seriously, legit. But I could do it. I mean, I gave up meat for 40 days once. I did the thing. The traditional, like, Lent thing. And that was tough. Let me tell you that, like, vegetarian meatballs and other stuff is not, it's not even in the wheelhouse. And I tried the Impossible Burger at, at Burger King. That was pretty good. But I think it was mostly because they fried the Impossible Burger on the same grill with the meat. And it picked up some of the good, like, beef grease. You know, I think that's why it tasted so good. Yeah, which isn't probably, you know, very legit, but there it was. Um, it was hard. I'm a meat eater. Anybody who knows me knows, like, if there's meat, it's not a meal. Like, if there's no meat, there's no meal. It's a snack. If there's no meat. But you can do it. And if you're doing it unto God, if you're doing it because God has called you to do it, you can do it. And every time you go to um, engage with that thing you love, every time you go to engage with that thing that you're maybe a little dependent on, if every time you go to engage with that thing that you really think you can't live without, you will think about why you're not having it, and it will bring to mind God. And it will bring to mind your relationship with Jesus. And in that moment, you're going to think about why you're doing it. It's not just some religious practice if you're doing it right. It's not just doing a thing because you're supposed to do a thing. The Holy Spirit will engage with you in that moment that you're abstaining or staying away from that thing that you're having that craving to do. And you're, God's going to, I'm telling you right now, in a prophetic sense, God will meet you there. God will meet you in that place of that thing that you're giving up for this time. And He's going to stop you in that moment. And you're going to find God there. And the Holy Spirit will engage with you. And it's going to be different than normal. I'm telling you this now. It will happen. It's happened to me every time I've observed Lent. That God meets me in those places where I think I need something. And he's like, no, what you really need, the, the cool thing with the observation of Lent is you, you find out what you really need is a relationship with Jesus. What you really need is the living God. What you really need is the Holy Spirit moving and active in your life. That's what you really need. That's what, what really fills your soul. That's what will really sustain you. So let's engage with God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, would you meet us? Lord, I ask each and every person here, anyone listening online, Lord God, would you speak to us?
what are you calling us to in this next 40 days? We wait on you, God. Um, I feel like, just keep your eyes closed. Um, felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And um, there are a couple of you who you were like, God, there is no way I can do without that. The thing that came to your head. Because the Holy Spirit spoke something to you. He put something, He put something in front of you that you weren't expecting and that you didn't want Him to put in front of you. But he did. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wants you to challenge him. He says, try me. Try me. See if I don't meet you there. See if I don't show up and give you the strength to not engage with that thing that you want so badly. See if I don't show up. See if I don't meet you there. And he will meet you there. God is more than big enough for that challenge. Lord, I ask for your blessing, Jesus. Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I ask for your blessing on the Yakima Vineyard, God. Lord, we want to follow you with our whole heart. We don't want to be weighed down by any chain Lord, would you break every chain that any of us have on us, God? Lord, would you just shatter it? Lord, would you, would you take a, a chisel and a sledgehammer and just shatter those things, God? Would you break those things that hold us back from truly, truly, truly being free? Lord, I speak freedom over us in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I speak freedom in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, be free. Be free in the name of Jesus. Release the captives, God. Break the chains, Jesus. Restore us to, to who you created us to be, Lord God. Lord, may we be soft clay in your hands, allowing you to mold us and change us and make us new. A couple of you are feeling something, a weight, a tingling, uh, of just God's presence on you. Just sit, rest, just rest with that. It's just God showing himself to you that he's, he's really real and that he's here. And it's not just a game. Make yourself known, Lord. Lord, make yourself known for the purpose of advancing your kingdom.
Lord, we only want to do what it is we see the Father doing. Nothing else. Just what the Father is doing. So lead us, Lord. Guide us and direct us, Jesus. Bless your people, Lord. Holy Spirit, walk with us through this next 40 days. As we remember what you did in the wilderness. And that you did that for our sake. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, I, I hope you guys all heard from God this morning. I hope, I hope the Lord spoke to you. Um, I definitely sensed his presence today with us. Um, so I hope, I hope the Lord spoke to you this morning. Um, we'll be going back into the Gospel of John next week. Um, so I look forward to seeing everybody. Um, and have a great Sunday. Thank you guys all for coming, even though we have a little... This isn't like the adversity Christ encountered, right? But it's cool-ish. Ish. Not cold. Although it's kind of nice because my water never really got like warm. So I have a nice cool drink just having it sit out. So that's kind of nice, you know. Sunny side. Silver lining. (laughs) Bless you guys. Thank you.